Good morning, Journey. Everybody awake? Happy March. February is gone. March is here. And, and I hope that through the month of February, if you were able to participate in the 21-day love fast, I hope it was an encouragement to you. Uh, several have shared about what God taught them during the process and how he has grown them. And if you say, Randy, I have no idea what you're talking about, uh, we have a, a brochure, and there in the back you can see one of the ushers when you leave, and you can start it now. It does not have to just be during February. It's a guide that kind of takes you through and let you see things that are trying to rob you, things that are stealing your joy and allowing you to return to your first love, which is God. And so I hope that's been an encouragement to you through the month of February. But the month of March is here. Don't forget, next week you spring forward. So it depends upon whether you're a positive person or a negative person, okay? The negative person says, I lose an hour sleep. The positive person says, I gain more daylight at the end of my day. So depending upon how you want to look at it, we'll leave it there, but just a, a reminder so that you don't get here and be like, where is everybody, okay? But this month, we get to start a new series, and it's one that... If we're honest and we look at ourselves, just kind of like today, the, uh, we, we kind of took a, a basic approach to the, to the team and they did a fantastic job, just kind of going back to our faith. Because a lot of times, uh, maybe you got saved later in life. Maybe uh, you, know, you were in your 20s, 30s, or 40s, or later before that you came to Christ. And so you're kind of trying to figure everything out. And, and for some of us, we got saved when we were young. And so we're trying to understand what all that means for us because there was a lot of a gap there. And so James is a great book for us all to come back to and be like, all right, let's get back and let's start with faith. And let's see where faith grows from there. So this month, we're going to be looking at the book of James. It works well because there are five Sundays in March. There's five chapters in James, so that works well. But the title of the series is Faith Works. Now, in our approach to God, if we get those two words reversed and we try to say that works produces faith, then we go against what God said, right? Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone could boast. So we have to understand the proper order. Faith comes first, but then faith should produce works, right? We should be able to see a difference. We should see a change in our life. It's, it's kind of like with anything that we do, if we change it, we ought to see a difference. If you change your diet, you should see a difference. If you change your exercise regimen, you should see a difference, right? If you say maybe in the new year you commit yourself to running, and maybe you start out and you're running a 15-minute mile, okay? By July, if you're still running a 15-minute mile, something's happened, right? We should be getting faster. We should be getting stronger. There, there should be a difference. Well, when we understand in our walk with Christ, faith ought to be producing works. There should be a difference. It's not, it's not pretend. It's not fake. It is real. And so when we understand that, it's like, okay, Lord, you have a plan and a purpose for me. Because one of the things I think that happens in Christianity is it's like, okay, we, we lead somebody to Christ and, and they get saved. And then it's like, well, okay, great. See you in heaven. And the person goes, is that it? 
Shouldn't there be more to this? Shouldn't there be growth? Shouldn't there be change? And we don't, that's called discipleship, right? And we don't help people grow. So for the month of March, we're all going to grow together, okay? We're going to go back to the very basics, and we're going to grow together. So the first chapter of James 1, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to be alluding to different verses. We're going to have some up on the screen for you. But the first chapter I've titled, Being Perfect Takes Work. Being perfect takes work. Now we have to understand this word perfect. Are you perfect? Thank you, David. I'm, and Vicky's not even here to, to not go, right? We may think we're perfect, right? And here's how we think that we're perfect. When people don't do things our way, we get upset. So by doing that, we are saying we're perfect, you are not, do it our way. But James is going to be developing this idea of what it means to be perfect. And the word that he uses here means to be whole or complete, okay? It does not mean that you never make a mistake. It does not mean that you never sin, okay? Until we reach heaven's shores, church, we're going to battle with sin, okay? So if you're here and go, man, I, I keep battling with the sin, or I, I want to do right, and I keep messing up, don't, don't give up. That's humanity, okay? The fact that you know that you messed up is a step in the right direction, right? That's a difference. So it's not the fact of, well, I, I know I sinned, so I'm not perfect, no, the idea of what James is getting through to us is that you are whole or complete. Just as we talked about in our marriage uh, series, two, becoming one. There are times that you still struggle, disagree, argue, but it doesn't change the fact that you are whole together as one. Does that make sense? And the more that you pursue that, the more you enjoy that fellowship. So in our relationship with God, because he has freed us and saved us from our sin, we now are able to be perfect, to be whole, to be complete in him. But we have to understand a little bit about James because you say, well, this guy probably was perfect. Oh, far from it. James was the half-brother of Jesus. You say, well, what do you mean by half-brother? Well, he had the same mother but different fathers, right? Jesus is the son of God. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. James is the son of Joseph and Mary. So same mother, different fathers. That's why we say half-brother. Now let me ask you a question. If, you're, if you have a brother, if your brother came to you and said, I am the Messiah, what would be your reply? Would you sit there and go, oh, great, wonderful. Man, thanks for changing our family. No, you'd be like, yeah, right. James was one who was the half-brother of Jesus, and he's sitting there going, there's no way this guy is the Messiah. Not because Jesus did anything wrong, but that's family. That's my half-brother. And in fact, in Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the fact that his own brothers don't believe him. So James is part of that group. And it's like, wow, they don't even believe me. But there comes a change and this change happens that James understands now that Jesus is the Messiah, and he gets on board, and in fact, he becomes an early leader in the church. 
And in Acts 15, it gives a description of when they are coming and trying to decide what to do. James is the one leading that group. James would go on and be martyred. Not long after he wrote the book of James, would be killed because he wouldn't deny his brother as the Messiah. James got it. So you see, church, you may have grown up and said, you know, I just don't believe this Jesus. It's just too good to be true. But somewhere along the line, you came to understand. And sometimes we regret that. And we're like, man, I wish I would have gotten saved when I was younger. I'm sure there are times that James like, man, I wish I would have believed Jesus earlier because I could have had a deeper relationship with him. I could have had a greater conversation with him. Man, I messed up. But James is bringing us to the point where we don't look at the past and let that keep us from moving forward. But there's something else about James that's kind of interesting. Because he didn't take advantage of the times when Jesus was here on the earth and it took him a while to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that after Jesus ascended to the Father, James spent significant amounts of time in prayer to the point that he was nicknamed Camel Knees. Now, some of you would be like, I don't know if I really like that name or not. Well, if you're familiar with camels, they, when they are in the resting position and they go to get up, they push off on their knees. And you can imagine a, a camel's no small animal that their knees become calloused. James spent so much time in prayer that his knees looked like the knees of a camel. Wow. See, he didn't start off right but he's ending right. And for some of you, your life didn't start out right, and the devil is great at reminding you on how you didn't start right. But God wants to look to see how you're gonna finish. What are you gonna do now? And so James, understanding that, gives to us here in this little five-chapter book great principles for following Jesus. James was one, and if you'll take I encourage you, for those of you that like to go deeper, take the book of James, take the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and take the book of Proverbs and read them simultaneously, and you'll see the truths that are intertwined there. Because James understood the wisdom of following Jesus. So throughout this book, you're going to hear him talk about being perfect, you're going to hear him talk about wisdom, and you're gonna hear him talk about what it means to follow after Jesus. So my first question to you before we even get to the first verse is this. Do you wanna follow Jesus? Because here's the thing, Jesus won't make you. He won't make you following. He'll lead the way, he'll give the instruction, but you have to choose, yes, I wanna follow. James didn't want to at first, but then he decided to. The question is, do we desire to follow Jesus? Well, James starts out the book talking about that this is written to the Jews that are dispersed. They've been persecuted. They're spread all throughout Rome and throughout the world because Rome is coming after them. And so he's starting off the book by talking about conditions are not perfect. It would be like today if the United States said, okay, you can no longer meet as, as believers, you can no longer talk about the name of Jesus, you can no longer be together as a church, and if we find anybody like that, we will persecute you. That would change our atmosphere, wouldn't it? 
So we, we sit there and go, well, serving Jesus isn't ideal. But here's what you'll see all throughout history. As the more that the devil tries to stop the spread of the gospel, the more the gospel spreads. And so he's writing here to these Jews, and he's trying to get them to understand, listen, you may be physically dispersed, but God is still at work. So what's he going to give to us? Well, the first one is this. The attitude of joy results in the attribute of perfection. In James 1, 2, it says this, count it all joy, my brothers. So is he talking to saved or unsaved? He's talking to saved. He's talking to those that want to follow Jesus. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, don't raise your hand, but just kind of raise it in your, in your mind. How many of you, when your faith is tried, you're joyful? When you're on your way to church and you have a flat tire, do you get out and be like, praise Jesus, the devil's trying to keep me from the house of God, but I'm a going. Or is it, oh, really? Boy, you try to do what's right and look at what happens. And, you know, how do, how do we handle trials? And what James is saying to us is this, count it joy. That means the enemy counts you worthy to try to get you sidelined, try to get you to the side. So James says, have the attitude of joy. Because he goes on to say that through that process, it leads to steadfastness, and steadfastness then, in verse 4, leads to perfection. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. But I don't know about you, but when trials come, joy is not normally the attitude that I face it with. It's I don't deserve this, what's going on? And James says, count it joy. Because he understands this truth. How you face that trial, because are we gonna face trials? Absolutely. So how you face that trial determines whether it will perfect you or whether it will prevent you. Don't miss those two words. When trials and testings come into your life, they either perfect you and you say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I am worthy to suffer for you. Thank you, Father, that I have the opportunity to serve you. So whatever wants to come my way, let it come because my eyes are set on you. That's being perfected. Or it will prevent you. You know what? Seems like the more I try to serve Jesus, the harder life gets. And I just can't take it right now. And so I'm done. You ever been there? When we understand that the trial is shaping us to be more like Jesus. Because was Jesus tried when he was on the earth? Yes. Remember Matthew chapter 4, right before the Sermon on the Mount, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tried, to be tested. He knows, and therefore he goes with us. Perfection is a process of trusting God. Perfection is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't pray for it and go, whoo, I'm perfect. I say the right things, I think the right things, I do the right things. It is a process of trusting God. But here's what happens. When we get in the trials, the darkness gets heavy, right? 
When you get in the trial, the darkness almost seems like it, it puts out any light. It extinguishes any light. And maybe you've heard this quote before, maybe you don't know who said it, but the quote is, don't question in the dark what God showed you in the light. And it's by V. Raymond Edmond. I'm just curious, anybody ever heard of V. Raymond Edmond before? Nobody. Anybody heard of Billy Graham before? This was his mentor. V. Raymond Edmond was a missionary in South America. He waited for his wife. They were married in 1924, and in 1925, he developed typhoid fever. On July 4th of 1925, they were preparing for his funeral. His funeral was gonna take place at three o'clock. His wife was already dressed in her black dress. Their son was nine months old. What looked to be a joyful life of serving Jesus was about to come to a sad ending. They didn't, they barely made it a year of marriage. And just as they were getting ready to go and waiting for him to die, to bury him, because embalming was not a process there, all of a sudden, V. Raymond Edmund got up off of his bed and he said, I'm ready to go. He was healed. What they didn't know till later on was there was a church that he had spoken at before that there was a group of prayer warriors that were there and they felt impressed by God to pray for him. You know, this was back before internet, right? They couldn't have the direct access. And they felt compelled to pray for him so they met and they prayed earnestly for whatever he was facing, whatever trial he was facing, that God would heal him. And God did. He, he went on to become the president at Wheaton College. Billy Graham, there's a whole lot more to the story, and I encourage you to, to look into it later, but Billy Graham was told to go to Wheaton College to be under this man because they said, this man will prepare you for what God has for you. Billy Graham went there. They developed a, a great friendship. Billy Graham would later on go to say that his life would not have been what it was without V. Raymond Edmond. In fact, V. Raymond Edmond went on to be on the staff or on the board of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. 42 years after he was supposed to die, he was preaching at Wheaton College. He was the chancellor now. He was up in years. And he preached a message on the presence of Christ and how glorious it is to walk in such a way that you get to enjoy his presence when he finished preaching and he went to walk off stage, he collapsed and died. Don't doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. You see, we many times believe what the enemy tries to come at us with and it discourages us. He could have said, you know what? Serving God almost killed me, I almost died. You know what, I'm done. But he saw what God had planned and he went on and God used him in such a mighty way, in fact, to mentor what would become known as the great evangelist of our time, Billy Graham. Church, imagine what God can do through you. If you won't let the trial prohibit you, 
and prevent you, but you'll let the trial perfect you to where you'll say, I do not want to miss the presence of God. Don't doubt in the darkness what God's shown you in the light. The second thing that James gives us is this in verses five through eight, absolute faith leads to confident steps. Absolute faith leads to confident steps. Have you ever in your life go, you know, I'm not sure which way God wants me to go. I'm not sure if God wants me to do this or if God wants me to do this. When you have that faith in God and you understand that he's directing your steps, it allows you to be confident in the steps that you take. Look at what it says in verse six. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Folks, if you don't believe in healing, don't pray for it. If you don't believe in protection, then don't pray for it. You say, man, that's pretty strong. That's like you coming to me and saying, hey, Randy, I'm hungry. Can you buy me something to eat? And if you have confidence that I'll buy you something to eat, how much of a slap in the face is it if you go to other people and line up just in case I don't pull through? When we come to God, remember, this is camel knees speaking here, right? When he prayed, he fully believed that God would and could do the things that he said. Because if you pray with doubt, if you pray saying, Lord, you know, I'm just gonna pray this, but in case it doesn't work out, then this. Sometimes we do that in salvation. Lord, I call out to you to forgive me of my sins and to be my Lord and Savior, but Lord, just in case that's not enough, then I'm going to get baptized. Then I'm going to give certain amounts of money. Then I'm going to do. No, salvation is by faith alone, period. And some of you parents that you're praying for your kids, you pray with confidence. You pray and say, God, would you protect my child? God, would you allow them to see what the enemy is trying to do? God, would you allow them to see and understand? Would you protect their minds? Would you protect their hearts? Because if we don't, then we're just like tossed about on a sea. Doubt reveals confusion on whether the wisdom of God works. I just don't know. I'm just not sure. I don't know if Sarah Beth remembers this or not, or Emily, Travis, but when I was teaching at Faith Christian School, my grandfather died right after 9-11. All planes were grounded. And the day that I needed to be able to leave, they opened up the air restrictions and were able to fly. And I remember going, getting ready to go to the airport, and some of my students asked and said, you know, Mr. Kelly, are, are you afraid to fly? Because, you know, look at what just happened. They could attack again. And my reply to them was this, listen, I am in the hand of God. The devil can't touch me unless God says it's okay, and I trust him. By the way, on a side note, best flying I ever did. There were only two of us on the whole plane. I got to fly first class and didn't have to pay for it. You see, when you trust God, and you'll sit there and go, oh yeah, but that, man, that could, that plane could crash, that plane could do this. Man, what does 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us? God's not given us the spirit of fear. Why? Because we can trust. And James understood that, and he goes, listen, when you ask, don't ask doubting, ask in confidence. 
And when you have that confidence, then it leads to steady steps. And those steady, consistent steps confirm the faith of your heart. I truly trust God. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. They're directed by the Lord. And you can walk in that confidence. The third thing that James gives to us is this. Good things are of God. Evil things are of the devil. Okay? You believe that? Then why do some of us blame God when things happen? Oh, God, how could you do this? Good things are of God. Evil things are of the devil. Okay? And if you get that confused, take devil and what word makes up his name? Evil. Okay? James is teaching this to us because the devil is the great deceiver in doing things and pointing fingers. Parents, you ever have children like that that do something to blame their brother or sister? Who spilt the milk? And the devil is great at doing that. And James gives us a very important lesson here is this. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. He will never, ever, ever tempt you to get you to do wrong. That is never of God. He'll never try to come and sideline you. That's of the devil. But then you know what? When God blesses us, what do we try to do? We try to take credit for it. Man, I did a good job at work. That's why I got that bonus. Man, I, I'm a great person. That's why karma is helping me. Folks, there is no such thing as karma. It's called God. Let's give credit where credit's due. There's no such thing as luck. There's God. I don't live my life by luck. If so, I don't have a very bright future. I live my life by God. He says in verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. When you give in to temptation, when you give in, you know, sit there and go, but God, how could you bring it? He goes, no, that came from the devil, it didn't come from me. And by the way, you didn't have to follow it, you chose to. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Okay, Christian, can I help give you some truth? The devil can't make you do anything. So stop blaming him for what you do. Oh, the devil made me do it. I didn't want to do it. A Duke fan drove by and I gave the V for Virginia. Man, the devil made me do that and drive that in, right? No, the devil didn't make you do that. That's for you, Paul. You cannot blame the devil for what you, listen to me, what you chose to do. He tempted you, but you followed along. And you don't have to do that. I want you to, to get this. If, hopefully you got a lot of things out of this, but if you don't get anything else out of this message, look at this next slide and understand it. To confuse, allow with approve is to give God the blame for the actions of the devil. You say, but if God is God and he is all-powerful, then why did he allow that car accident? Why did he allow that cancerous cell? Why did he allow that divorce? Why did he allow, allow? You're confusing the word allow for approve. You see, church, 
When God created everything, it was good. We're the ones that messed it up. We're the ones that chose to listen to the devil rather than to God. So we're the ones that brought sin in. And when the devil comes and he tempts us and we follow along and then we see truly the price that is required for that and the harm and the hurt and the pain, don't come back and be like, but God, you could have stopped it. But God, you could have changed it. God allows it because he is God and he keeps his word. And when he said to Adam and Eve, out of all that's here in the garden, there's only one tree you cannot eat of, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when you do, you'll die. And guess what, church? The world's been experiencing that death all throughout time. Not because God gave it to us, because we opened the door. But here's what I want you to see from this. This part's not up there, so if you're taking notes, write this down. What God does not authorize, he gives you authority to overcome. Let me say that again. What God does not authorize, he gives you authority to overcome. You say, Randy, what does that mean? When you understand of the things that have been allowed into your life because of sin, when you allow, understand the things that are there because of that, you say, well, I guess I've messed up. I guess I, there's just no overcoming it. Oh, no. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, 1 John 4, 4. And when we understand that, he gives us the power then to overcome that and to rise above it. You can praise God through any storm, through any trial, through any testing. You can praise him through that because the storm was allowed, not approved, allowed by God to give you the power through Jesus to calm or conquer the storm or the enemy. Whew, don't miss that. That is powerful. Because some of you have storms going on in your life and you're saying, I just don't know how we're going to get through this. I just don't know how we're going to overcome this. Man, I, I, I see now that it's because I listened to the devil. And man, I'm so sorry. How do I get past that? You come to Jesus. You come to him. You say, Lord, I'm tired of listening to the enemy. I want to do it your way. And just like when Peter saw Jesus and Jesus said, come on to me, Peter, Peter walked on the water. And when you understand that when you get that understanding that he will give you the power to calm or conquer any storm that's in your life. I was sharing with someone this morning. I used to be like this, man, I messed up, man, I just, all right, just beat me down, man, just, okay, God, I mean, just give, God goes, what are you doing? It's like you're giving the devil permission to attack you. You're my child. You fess up, you get up, and you conquer. And when that happens, then you come up and you say, all right, devil, I listen to you, and here's what has happened in my life, but no more. I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm following Jesus. And devil, you picked on the wrong person because I'm a child of God. And you lead others, and others see that in your life. Dads, God's calling you to step up. Moms, God's calling you to step up and set the patterns for your children to be able to see that, yeah, when things happen, he don't sit there and just keep, yeah, well, I'm just, 
God just gonna beat me up for it? No, God wants to deliver you out of that. He wants you to start believing him and start listening to the enemy. James got that. He could have sat there and go, Jesus, I could have, I could have followed you, but no, I get it. And now I'm a warrior for you. Fourth thing, correct hearing leads to correct words. Correct hearing leads to correct works. I'm sorry. What does that mean? He says, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer. This is one of the things that James is well known for. We often hear that, you know, don't just be hearers, be doers. What does it say in James 1.25? But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, but forgets, a do, but forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Listen to that last phrase. He will be blessed in his doing. Church, we live in a phenomenal time that through the internet, through TV, through radio, you can hear thousands and thousands of messages. But it's not just enough to hear it and to be, oh, yeah, man, oh, I'm a child of God. That's great. God's calling you to go out and do it, live it, show it to others so they can see him in you. If you're familiar with Francis Chan, in one of his studies, he says this, the devil is completely glad for you to go to a Bible conference for you to go to a women's conference, a men's conference, and to hear another good message and to pat each other on the back and be like, hey, we came, we sat through three hours, we had lunch together, we're great. No, it's only when you take that and go, okay, now let's go out and do. Let's not just be hearers, let's be doers. The path to blessing is hearing the voice of your shepherd through his spirit and then obeying in your spirit through action. It's when you understand the Spirit is leading you, you understand the Spirit is guiding you, and so therefore you say, okay, Lord, I get it, I surrender, I obey, I'm gonna do it. But but how, how do I know it's gonna be used? Because I trust the voice of the one who called me to do it. When he has brought, when he has brought all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. I encourage you this week to read John 10. Let it just saturate in your life. Church, he's told us we'll hear his voice. How closely are we listening? Or do we believe the enemy and think it's no longer good for us? But the fifth thing that John, I mean, that James gives to us is this, religion. A lot is said about religion. But religion, pure religion, looks differently than many times it's portrayed. You see, we often talk about it's about a relationship, not a religion. You're right. That's why James said this in verse 27. Religion is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Notice what he's talking about, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. What happened? Their relationships were shattered through death, through judgment, through whatever. Their relationships with their husbands and with their dads was shattered. And now God the Father says, you want to show me? You go and be me. Notice what it says before God, what? 
the Father. It could've, he could have said Almighty God, Covenant God, but he gives the description, God the Father, is you be me. You fulfill that relationship with them. Now, in this time, that was called to action because these people could not give anything back. They had nothing. In fact, the world saw them as people that were judged by God. But you see, James just said, we understand this. Every evil act comes from who? The devil. Sometimes, church, we think we're acting on God's behalf by going after people and condemning and judging them. And God says, do you not know who I am? Every good and perfect gift comes from me. If there's something there, I'll take care of it. But I've called you to go and to minister and to fulfill that relationship. Everything about helping the widows and the orphans, everything about it appeared to be difficult, pointless, unrewarding. However, when you see Jesus in them, you obey his voice and minister to them and are his hands and feet. Notice the word that James used, to visit them. At church, there are times that money's required. I'm not saying that giving's a bad thing. But don't give when God's called you to go. Don't just give and say, well, I wrote a check, I'm good. But did God call you to go? Did God call you to go be his placement, to be his relationship with them so they can see he's not forgotten or forsaken them? Think about this way. Next time that you're hungry or thirsty or have a financial situation, what if I came by you and said this, I'll pray for you? What if... What if Jason came to me and said, man, I've got a bill that if I don't pay, they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna come take everything I have. Jason, how much is that bill? It was $50. And I have a $100 bill in my shirt pocket. I said, Jason, man, that's, that's a great need. I'm gonna pray for you. It requires faith to get involved, doesn't it? Well, what if he doesn't do well with it? What if he's just taking... What's, he, what's, what's God calling me to? What's God calling me to do? When it comes to following Jesus, doing comes because you did. You say, Randy, what do you mean? Because you accepted Jesus as your Savior, because you exercised faith in your relationship, you're saved, therefore the doing comes, okay? If you don't do, then you did not. Oh, what, what are you? Oh, we just stepped into some hard ground there. How can I say that I have faith in Jesus when my faith doesn't cause me to work, to do, because I'm following Jesus? How can I say that I am following Jesus when I don't give the gospel? So, church. James is calling us. He's going to develop these ideas all throughout the next four chapters. But he's saying this to us. You say you have faith. What works? What's changed in your life? Whose voice are you following? Whose voice are you believing? What actions are you portraying? Do people see Jesus in you? 
Church, the first thing we need to do as we, as we start this study on faith is this. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has there been a point in your life where you understood you were apart from Jesus and Jesus came to pay the price for your sin and you called out to him and said, I cannot be saved any other way, Jesus, but through you? Have you accepted Jesus' work on Calvary for your sin? That's where faith starts. Remember the people who stood before Jesus and he said, depart from me, I never knew you. And they said, but Lord, didn't we do these many things? And he said, but I never knew you. So you did the wrong things. Church, it has to start with faith. Do you know Jesus as your savior? Not because of what you've done, but because of what he did. If not, I invite you today. I invite you today to accept him. But if you say, yeah, Randy, I know that I'm saved. Then what kind of works is your life producing? What kind of change is there? Are you following his voice? Are you being his hands and feet? Or are you doubting, tossed to and fro? He's calling for us to be confident children in our Jesus. May that be so today. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Father, forgive us when we've allowed fear into our life. Forgive us, Father, when we who have not listened to you. So Father, I pray that today would be the beginning of our faith working. Where we're not just content to be, well, I'm going to heaven when I die. Oh, but I wanna be your hands and feet here. I wanna follow your voice here. I wanna see you work in and through me. I wanna be a vessel of honor. Oh, God, I want my faith to work. May that be our heart's cry today. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, the call is very simple. If you don't know Jesus, he invites you today to accept him. But if you do know Jesus, if you do have the faith, what works is he calling you to do? What is it you've been fighting him on? What part of doubt has played a role in your life? And today you say, Lord, I claim the confidence that you've called me to. I'm sorry for blaming you for things that were not your fault. I'm sorry for not giving you credit for things that you've been doing in my life. God, I wanna be confident in following you. Church, will our reply today be this? My faith works.